Section 2 of The Book of Sir Marco Polo the Venetian Concerning the Kingdoms and Marvels of the East, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anna Simon. The Book of Sir Marco Polo the Venetian Concerning the Kingdoms and Marvels of the East, Volume 2 by Ristichello da Pisa. Translated by Henry Yule. Book 2nd part 2 chapters 39 to 44 chapter 39 how prester john treated the golden king his prisoner and on this the golden king was so sorely grieved that he was like to die and he said to them good my sons for god's sake have pity and compassion upon me ye wot well what honourable and kindly entertainment ye have had in my house and now ye would deliver me into the hands of mine enemy in sooth, if you do what you say, you will do a very naughty and disloyal deed, and a right villainous. But they answered only that so it must be, and away they had him to Prester John their lord. And when Prester John beheld the king, he was right glad, and greeted him with something like a malison. The king answered not a word, as if he wist not what it behoved him to say. So Prester John ordered him to be taken forth straightway, and to be put to look after cattle, but to be well looked after himself also. So they took him, and set him to keep cattle. This did Prester John of the grudge he bore the king, to heap contumely on him, and to show what a nothing he was compared to himself. And when the king had thus kept cattle for two years, Prester John sent for him, and treated him with honour, and clothed him in rich robes, and said to him, Now, Sir King, art thou satisfied that thou wast in no way a man to stand against me? Truly, my good lord, I know well, and always did know, that I was in no way a man to stand against thee. And when he had said this, Prester John replied, I ask no more, but henceforth thou shalt be waited on and honourably treated. So he caused horses and harness of war to be given him, with a goodly train, and sent him back to his own country. And after that he remained ever friendly to Prester John, and held fast by him. So now I will say no more of this adventure of the Golden King, but I will proceed with our subject. Chapter 40 Concerning the Great River Caramoran and the City of Kachanfu When you leave the castle and travel about twenty miles westward, you come to a river called Caramoran, so big that no bridge can be thrown across it, for it is of immense width and depth, and reaches to the great ocean that encircles the universe. I mean the whole earth. On this river there are many cities and walled towns, and many merchants too therein, for much traffic takes place upon the river, there being a great deal of ginger and a great deal of silk produced in the country. Game birds here are in wonderful abundance, insomuch that you may buy at least three pheasants for a Venice groat of silver, I should say rather for an asper, which is worth a little more. On the lands adjoining this river there grow vast quantities of great canes, some of which are a foot or a foot and a half in girth, and these the natives employ for many useful purposes. After passing the river and travelling two days westward, you come to the noble city of Kachanfu, which we have already named. The inhabitants are all idolaters, and I may as well remind you again that all the people of Cathay are idolaters. 
It is a city of great trade and of work and gold tissues of many sorts, as well as other kinds of industry. There is nothing else worth mentioning, and so we will proceed and tell you of a noble city which is the capital of a kingdom, and is called Kenjanfu. Chapter 41 Concerning the City of Kenjanfu And when you leave the city of Kachanfu, of which I have spoken, and travel eight days westward, you meet with cities and boroughs abounding in trade and industry, and quantities of beautiful trees and gardens and fine plains planted with mulberries, which are the trees on the leaves of which the silkworms do feed. The people are all idolaters. There is also plenty of game of all sorts, both of beasts and birds. And when you have travelled those eight days' journey, you come to that great city which I mentioned called Kenjanfu. A very great and fine city it is, and the capital of the kingdom of Kenjanfu, which at all times was a noble, rich, and powerful realm, and had many great and wealthy and puissant kings. But now the king thereof is a prince called Mangalai, the son of the great Khan, who hath given him this realm, and crowned him king thereof. It is a city of great trade and industry. They have great abundance of silk, from which they weave cloths of silk and gold of diverse kinds, and they also manufacture all sorts of equipments for an army. They have every necessary of man's life very cheap. The city lies towards the west, the people are idolaters, and outside the city is the palace of the Prince Mangalai, crowned king and son of the great Khan, as I told you before. This is a fine palace and a great, as I will tell you. It stands in a great plain, abounding in lakes and streams and springs of water. Round about it is a massive and lofty wall, five miles in compass, well built, and all garnished with battlements. And within this wall is the king's palace, so great and fine that no one could imagine a finer. There are in it many great and splendid halls, and many chambers, all painted and embellished with work in beaten gold. This Mangalai rules his realm right well with justice and equity, and is much beloved by his people. The troops are quartered round about the palace, and enjoy the sport that the royal domain affords. So now let us quit this kingdom, and I will tell you of a very mountainous province called Kunkun, which you reach by a road right wearisome to travel. Chapter 42 Concerning the province of Kunkun, which is right wearisome to travel through. On leaving the palace of Mangalai, you travel westward for three days, finding a succession of cities and boroughs and beautiful plains inhabited by people who live by trade and industry and of great plenty of silk. At the end of those three days, you reach the great mountains and valleys which belong to the province of Kunkun. There are towns and villages in the land, and the people live by tilling the earth, and by hunting in the great woods. For the region abounds in forests wherein are many wild beasts, such as lions, bears, lynxes, bucks and roes, and sundry other kinds, so that many are taken by the people of the country, who make a great profit thereof. So this way you travel over mountains and valleys, finding a succession of towns and villages, and many great hostelries for the entertainment of travellers, interspersed among extensive forests. Chapter 43 Concerning the province of Akbalek Manzi After you have travelled those twenty days through the mountains of Kunkun that I have mentioned, then you come to a province called Akbalek Manzi, 
which is all level country, with plenty of towns and villages, and belonging to the great Khan. The people are idolaters, and live by trade and industry. I may tell you that in this province there grows such a great quantity of ginger, that it is carried all over the region of Cathay, and it affords a maintenance to all the people of the province, who get great gain thereby. They have also wheat and rice, and other kinds of corn in great plenty and cheapness. In fact, the country abounds in all useful products. The capital city is called Akbalakmanzi, which signifies the white city of the Manzi frontier. This plain extends for two days' journey, throughout which it is as fine as I have told you, with towns and villages as numerous. After those two days you again come to great mountains and valleys, and extensive forests, and you continue to travel westward through this kind of country for twenty days, finding, however, numerous towns and villages. The people are idolaters, and live by agriculture, by cattle-keeping, and by the chase, for there is much game. And among other kinds there are the animals that produce the musk in great numbers. CHAPTER 44 CONCERNING THE PROVINCE AND CITY OF Sindafu. When you have travelled those twenty days westward through the mountains, as I have told you, then you arrive at a plain belonging to a province called Sindafu, which still is on the confines of Manzi, and the capital city of which is also called Sindafu. This city was in former days a rich and noble one, and the kings who reigned there were very great and wealthy. It is a good twenty miles in compass, but it is divided in the way that I shall tell you. You see, the king of this province, in the days of old, when he found himself drawing near to death, leaving three sons behind him, commanded that the city should be divided into three parts, and that each of his three sons should have one. So each of these three parts is separately walled about, though all three are surrounded by the common wall of the city. Each of the three sons was king, having his own part of the city, and his own share of the kingdom, and each of them, in fact, was a great and wealthy king. But the great Khan conquered the kingdom of these three kings, and stripped them of their inheritance. Through the midst of this great city runs a large river, in which they catch a great quantity of fish. It is a good half-mile wide, and very deep withal, and so long that it reaches all the way to the ocean sea, a very long way, equal to eighty or one hundred days' journey. And the name of the river is Kiansui. The multitude of vessels that navigate this river is so vast that no one who should read or hear the tale would believe it. The quantities of merchandise also which merchants carry up and down this river are past all belief. In fact, it is so big that it seems to be a sea rather than a river. Let us now speak of a great bridge which crosses this river within the city. This bridge is of stone. It is seven paces in width and half a mile in length, the river being that much in width as I told you. And all along its length, on either side, there are columns of marble to bear the roof, for the bridge is roofed over from end to end with timber, and that all richly painted. And on this bridge there are houses in which a great deal of trade and industry is carried on. But these houses are all of wood merely, and they are put up in the morning, and taken down in the evening. Also there stands upon the bridge the great Khan's Komerke, that is to say, his custom-house, where his toll and tax are levied. And I can tell you that the dues taken on this bridge 
bring to the lord a thousand pieces of fine gold every day and more the people are all idolaters when you leave this city you travel for five days across a country of plains and valleys finding plenty of villages and hamlets and the people of which live by husbandry there are numbers of wild beasts lions and bears and such like i should have mentioned that the people of sindhu itself live by manufacturers for they make fine sandals and other stuffs after travelling those five days march you reach a province called tibet which has been sadly laid waste we will now say something of it end of section two